Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. I think that there are definitely well thought out agendas happening that people are getting caught up in. And I think in this case, in the case of self-empowerment groups, they are preying on people's desire to help the world. So they're really preying on your good nature and they're telling you that what you're doing is really helping others. And it's also not so clear cut because you are helping others, but then at the same time, you're slowly being very controlled. And so the combination really puts you in what I call the trance-like state. This week on the podcast, we're airing a special four-part series on the cult of personal development. So many of us pick up books and go to seminars in the hopes of improving our lives. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, but it can be when we're not aware of how it can actually lead to a lot of bad things when we let charismatic leaders take advantage of us and manipulate us. So we decided to bring in former cult members to dissect this process and explain how this actually happens so that you can avoid it. So one thing I've realized after so many years of hosting this show is that you hear my voice every week, but I don't hear yours. And I'd really like to hear from you. For this episode, I'm excited to start something totally new called an airspace. An airspace is an audio group chat hosted by me and Ariella, where you can send us an audio message. And when we reply, it'll show up in the main thread. I'll be using the airspace over the next couple of days to talk with you and Ariella about the process of indoctrination and also answer your questions about this episode. Click on the first link in the description to send me your questions now and view the conversation so far. And when we answer, you'll actually get an email letting you know. You can also be part of the airspace by going to unmistakablecreative.com slash participate. Ariella, welcome to the Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Hi, thanks for having me. It is my pleasure to have you here. So I actually was introduced to you by way of our mutual friend, Sinesh Stevens, when I told her that I was putting together a series about the cult of personal development. She said that you were somebody that I absolutely had to talk to. And uh, when I found out a little bit about your background and your story, I thought, yeah, absolutely. This is kind of a no brainer. But uh, having listened to the show, you know that that is definitely not where we're going to start. So I want to start by asking, what did your parents do for work? And how did that end up shaping and influencing the choices that you've made with your own life and career? Well, my father grew up um, very humble background in Brooklyn, and he became a shoe salesman originally, and we lived in Princeton, New Jersey. He would take the train every day and commute to New York, and he decided he wanted to spend more time with his family. 
And he also decided he wanted to have a lot more success. So he became an accountant and then he worked his way up to a company called Commodities Corporation. And at that time, he actually started the company with a small group of people and he worked there that was local in Princeton. So he was very happy. He had a great work-life balance and that company became extremely successful. So with my father, I saw that whatever he put his mind to, he could accomplish. And if something wasn't working, he handled it. And as far as my mother goes, she came from Bogota, Colombia to the United States when she was 21 and met my father. And she spoke many languages and raised us exclusively when we were younger and then ended up becoming a translator and a test writer for ETS. She worked on the GREs and other tests. Hmm. How old were you when you saw uh, your father's transition from being a shoe salesman to you know being as successful as he was? Like, What was the timeline for that? I was around seven or eight years old. And I remember it was really cool because he would take us to the company and it was a beautiful stone building. And then I remember seeing a computer for the first time and the computer actually took up an entire room. (laughs) That's what what computers were. And there was a person hired to run the computer full time. I mean, but to me, it was very impactful because I thought, wow, this is amazing. And it, it really instilled something in me that just wanted to pursue my dreams. And same with my mother. She was an amazing mother. She had come over from Columbia to pursue her dream of living in the United States and creating lots of opportunities for her children. And then as we got older, she decided she wanted to follow her dream. And so I really had wonderful examples of following your dreams. Now, that said, there's another element which also impacted me. My parents, they are always very idealistic, as you can see. There's a downside to that. And what I experienced was this kind of culture at home where we always were encouraged to be positive and go for things. So I had violin lessons, gymnastics, Hebrew school, tennis. I mean, I had so many things going (laughs) all at once because they really wanted to give me as many opportunities as possible. And... The key here is that if I complained or if I didn't want to do something, it was dismissed. Mm -hmm. So I learned to dismiss my feelings. I learned not to speak up if something didn't feel right. And I learned not to really look at practical situations and just stick with the ideal. And that got me into a lot of trouble as I got older. 
Yeah, no, we'll come back to that. It's funny because, you know, when you say that, I can't help of, uh, but think of a recent conversation we had with Ioana Holloway, who had, had mentioned, she said, you know, gifted children often uh, have their feelings dismissed simply because they're gifted. People don't recognize that they're even struggling with something uh, just because of the fact that their accomplishments outshine all their emotional problems. And that really stayed with me. Uh, yes. But one thing that I, I wonder, you know, like, and this is maybe something you only recognize in retrospect, because I, I saw something similar happen with my parents. You know, my dad, while I was growing up, was doing postdoctoral work. But by the time my sister had, you know, gotten to adolescence, his career was starting to take off and, you know, he had become a tenured professor. And I wonder, like, what seeing that did for your own perception of success and wealth and money in particular, because you're going from shoe salesman to running a company uh, in finance is like a drastic shift in, you know, a money story. So I wonder, you know, one, when you're younger, what that did, which you may only recognize in retrospect, but as you got older, what did that do? Yeah, that's a great question. I always had a sense that I could create the money I needed for anything. And that's an interesting thing because, as I said, both my parents grew up without a lot of money. And it's also interesting because although we had money, my father created quite a bit, he maintained his values that money was never overly stressed or, you know, we, we still lived the same way. Maybe we went out to eat some more and they paid for my college and things like that, but it never became the focus. I do think that ret retrospectively looking back, the main thing is I always felt that I could create it when I needed it. And I have. Hmm. So what uh, advice did they give you in terms of careers, um, in terms of about making your way in the world as an adult? Uh, and, did, you know, what did you end up doing as a result of it? Well, they are funny because they tried to steer me in the direction of a more practical career, but they were... <laughs> I can relate. <laughs> they really, they wanted me to be successful and happy, but... They were very accepting of my choices and I kind of followed their more idealistic side and I became a therapist. I always loved helping people. And so I did that for about 10 years before I took the Avatar course and I was very happy being a therapist. Yeah. So I know, you know, from having uh, read about you and just from our conversations that you have, you know, what typically qualifies as a, a pretty impressive academic background, you know, Ivy League schools, all the things that look incredibly impressive on a resume. Um, so I think it would be hard for us to get out of this conversation without talking about two things, education and parenting. Having been in an environment like the Ivy League, uh, if you were given the task of redesigning the education system from the ground up, how would you change it? Wow. What a question. Okay. I've been I known to do that to people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think that I'm going to take this in a little bit of a different direction. I think that with the education system, I would start with focusing on basic skills. We jump right into all these academic lessons and things that are very important, of course, but we miss the skills of how to manage our emotions, how to stay present, how to communicate, how to parent, 
how to have a marriage, how to manage money. There are so many basic things that are missing. So it creates gaps in our ability to function. And that actually harms our ability to concentrate on the other stuff. And Mm -hmm. we become ineffective in many ways in certain areas that are vital to our health and our happiness. Yeah. It's funny because I saw a therapist, I think for the first time at Berkeley, my senior year, and this was a service that was available to me for free. And nobody told me about it. Nobody encouraged me to do it. In fact, you know, at that time, it was something that was so stigmatized that you would never mention to a friend that you even went to see therapy, particularly in an environment full of overachievers, which is probably the environment where it's most needed. Um, Why? What do you think that is? Like, why is it that we don't prioritize these skills early in life? They're so vital to our survival as adults. And this is something I ask anybody who does work similar to you do. As somebody who is a therapist, uh, both as a parent and as a human, are you immune to all the other bullshit that everybody else deals with? Yeah, well, of course, I'm not immune to that now as a therapist after going through the whole thing that I went through, which is going to, you're going to find out and we're going to share in a little bit. Um, I have much more awareness. And although I, I think the best answer is that I'm not immune to any situation, but now I have the tools and the ability to deal with anything that comes up in a very healthy way. And I think that's really important. And I I just going back to your first question, I think the the reason why it's a funny answer, the reason why these things are stigmatized and not encouraged is because so many of the people in power actually don't have the skills. Hmm. So they don't want to be exposed and they wouldn't know the first thing about teaching these skills to people because they don't have them. So they would rather brush everything under the rug and keep pretending. And the second thing goes back to dismissing. I think people literally think that dismissing something is a strategy that works. If you ignore it enough, it'll go away. Now, obviously not (laughs) consciously, right? But that's how a lot of people live. And they would rather do that than really face something head on. Mm. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems. But getting therapy has its own problems, too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and, of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this. You're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Well, so, you know, as I mentioned, you're part of this series that I decided to put together on the cult of personal development, because I just, the more I did this work, the more I started to talk to people, I just couldn't help but start finding holes in things that people were being taught, which all seem really good on the surface, uh, which is, you know, in the name of self-improvement, people are attending seminars, people are doing workshops. And in so many cases, what appears to be you know, good life choices leads to really bad outcomes, as we've seen from, you know, stories like the the ones with Nexium. Uh, and so <clears throat> what I wonder is, you know, you're a therapist and you have a background that seems like you would be equipped to deal with all the kinds of stuff that most people are trying to deal with through self-improvement. So why bother getting down this path and how in the world did you end up down this trajectory? Well, I I was happy being a therapist, but in my personal life, I was looking for something more. And looking back, what I realized is that I was looking to belong to something. I always felt slightly like an outsider. Like I wasn't quite fitting in with the Ivy League crowd. I had more spiritual interests. I was a little more quiet and a little awkward. I really wasn't like that popular girl that always knew how to dress. And I, I always felt like I didn't belong fully. And so when I heard about Avatar, I, first of all, I wanted to go really deep, which is one of the ways that they draw you in. 
So I thought, okay, I know so much about myself, but I'd like to go really do deep and do a nine days seminar. Wow. Imagine how much I could learn. So that, that was part of the attraction. And then once I did it and I did learn a lot, I thought, I really relate to these people. I relate to this group's intention and I feel like I belong. Now, the problem with that is because belonging was so important to me and there's nothing wrong with enjoying belonging to something. But if it becomes your primary focus, then you end up sacrificing way too much in order to belong. And I went from feeling like I belonged to actually feeling like I belonged to that group, like they owned me and I sacrificed way too much for way too many years. So you mentioned uh, at the beginning of our conversation, and we'll get into this whole idea of indoctrination here shortly, that, you know, your parents instilled this idealism in you. And you know, I think that when I look now at, at self-improvement through a sort of more rational lens, like I, I you know, mentioned to you that I'm writing this new book called Not Another Damn Self-Help Book. And in the intro, I say, you know, if I had to describe myself in a dating profile, it would be rational, optimist, spiritual, skeptic, and v- vigilant realist. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, my roommate even jokes, he said, you call this stuff new age bullshit. He said, half your work falls into this category, dude. Um, but, you know, you mentioned that idealism, and I think that that's so common and often to our detriment. Uh, it, it seems like, you know, you have idealism to the point of diminishing returns, and it seems like that's exactly what happened. You talk to me about the role that that idealism played in, in getting you into the trouble that you were in. Yeah, well, so the ideal of this group was that we were helping the world by helping each person really take control of their lives and and be a compassionate, responsible person. So that ideal sounded so good to me. And I bought into it. And because of the downside of idealism, where you dismiss anything else, I started to dismiss all the things that were not good about the organization or the lifestyle that I was experiencing. And so I started compromising my values. I started going to courses and teaching where I was spending money to teach. Um, I started leaving home and leaving my family when I felt that I really needed to be home. And what idealism did was it it caused me to justify my behaviors and the behaviors of the organization in the name of the positive cause. I know that sounds funny, but you know, you keep going back to the positive and I stop being real. I'll share an example, which is pretty poignant because of course, things always grow. They get worse and worse. So what started out maybe benign, leaving a couple of extra times, ended up, um, I was in my hallway at home. My son was around seven years old and he was in school. My husband was at work and I had this big suitcase packed. I'm a small person, this big suitcase packed. And inside I had forks, knives, a hot pot, um, everything I needed because I had to share a room 
I had to travel to Florida from Connecticut and share a room with three other people to be able to afford staying there for 10 days to teach. And I did not want to go. I had left two weeks before I was paying. I was crying and I just felt I really don't want to go. But I sold myself on the idealism. Hey, Ariella, well, I lost you're helping you. uh, others and you're sorry. going to change hey, the world. Ari- Ariella, and uh, I, I lost you there myself. for myself. Yeah. Hey, Ariella, I lost you there for a second. Can you pick it up from yeah. I was crying and we'll go back and edit? Sure. And I was standing there. I was crying. I just, every part of me did not want to go. And I forced myself to go. And I sold myself on the idealism of, you're going to go help the world. This is your contribution. This is your sacrifice. It's worth it. And I went anyway. And that's the danger of idealism. And what I ended up realizing is when idealism is not grounded in common sense, it becomes delusional. I think that people go into most of these situations with the best of intentions, and then they find themselves in situations like Nexium. How does that even happen? Uh, yes, that's a great story. And um, okay, that's a great uh, question. And that has happened to me. I ended up staying in Avatar for 21 years before getting out this past November. So I've thought a lot about this and I have a lot to say. So let me, let me start with the first thing that comes to mind. When you do enter these groups, usually you enter as a consumer. So you want the benefit of the group. And very often in these self-empowerment courses, there is great initial benefit, which draws you in. So when I first took the course, I really learned so much and I absolutely loved it. Now, for me, the problem I see is after you take the course, once you get in the door, it very quietly and in a very sneaky way turns into, instead of being about your benefit, it turns into how can they use you for their benefit? Mm -hmm. And it happens by a process of grooming. And we all know what grooming means. You know, people do, people have that happen in relationships a lot. And they groom you by subtly indoctrinating you with beliefs. So I'm going to give some example, some examples. So when somebody tells you the problem with the world is dot, 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 that's your first red flag because most people just accept someone else's rendition of the problem. So in Avatar, it was the problem with the world is people don't know how to run their minds effectively. Now, I didn't question that. I just thought, oh, cool. Now I know what the problem with the world is. And then, of course, lo and behold, they have the solution to that problem, which is to teach people how to run their minds effectively. And so they set you up right from the beginning, thinking that what they have is the answer. So a lot of people don't realize that they're getting drawn in right at that point. And then what happens is they start to ask you to do more and more and more. So here's where I want to make a distinction between someone who takes self-empowerment courses, which Mm -hmm. is one thing, and someone may take a lot of self-empowerment courses 
And they may even get caught in just continuing to look for more and more. But there's a whole nother dynamic that I'm talking about, which is when you go from taking the course to getting drawn into the system, which I consider that the system I was drawn into is a cult Mm -hmm. and they take control of your life and you really lose your financial stability, your relationships, emotional stability and control of your life. So that's a whole nother, as a whole separate thing that happens. And that's really what I'm talking about. It's very easy for that to happen. Hmm. Well, so so let me ask you, you are a therapist by training. Mm -hmm. So I'd imagine that by, you know, by nature that you have some would go into these situations with some level of inherent skepticism and the willingness to question what you're being told. And the funny thing is that, you know, even when I was reading Raquel and Ross's book, uh, I was shocked by the level of intelligence of some of the people who find themselves in these situations. And he said it, you'd be surprised how many people, um, end up in these situations. I mean, even when I was looking at the seduction community, you know, the first thought in my mind as I was writing about it, I said, you might think that, you know, the people who would, you know, go out and join a self-empowerment or self-improvement group in an effort to meet women would be just a guy, guys who are a bunch of losers. And that turns out to be anything but true. I mean, some of the people mm-hmm. I met were, you know, getting PhDs at elite schools. One of them went on to be an incredibly successful startup founder um, who was associated with a well-known group of startup founders in Silicon Valley, uh, you know, and that part was really shocking to me. So I, I wonder, you know, as a highly intelligent person, how you find yourself in a situation where you don't question any of this? Yeah, that's a great question. And and part of it is that I think that now people have a lot more awareness of the dangers of indoctrination and the process of it. And so at the time, there was nobody really talking about that. So I I didn't have awareness of that process. And there are two things that I think were, well, I say three things that were really keys that got me drawn in and prevented me from actually being aware of what was happening and inspecting it. So the first thing is what I call micro compromises of integrity. So they would say things like, let's, let's have you come to the next course. And let's say, so I was living in Connecticut at the time, as I said, I was a single mom. And so going to the next course meant three weeks later or so, packing up my suitcase again, getting my son all set, taking us both on a flight to Orlando getting a hotel room, staying in the hotel, paying for all of that, trying to get a student to come with me and then having ridiculously long hours. So I started at 7 a.m. and I didn't end till 9 p.m. And I had 45 minutes to an hour for lunch. My son would be in babysitting. It was very stressful, but I kept compromising and saying, well, just this one time or this will be good for me, or I'm, I'm growing here. I'm getting out of my comfort zone. So little by little by little, they erode at your own self-trust mm-hmm. and you start overriding yourself. So that's when you stop, that's when you lose awareness and you stop questioning things because it's so, it's bit by bit. So the incremental quality of it is very dangerous. Does that make sense? 
That makes sense. You know, I mean, I, you know, I'm writing this new book where I'm, you know, really asking people to consider the context in, in which they get this advice or looking at any of this advice in the context of their own life. And even, you know, when I was writing about the seduction community, I said, you know what, if you take a charismatic person, uh, you know, and put them in front of a group, um, you can get that group to do pretty much anything you want, especially if it's a group of guys. And why is that? I was like, it's because the libido is far more powerful than male intelligence. But, uh, mm-hmm. You know, like that, so that that really raises the question of what role the people who lead these organizations play in creating this dynamic, because I don't think they're unaware of what they're doing. Yeah, now I agree. And so there's a lot of different theories about it. There's a lot written right now about these cult leaders being narcissistic, as you know, and toxic narcissists. So I'm not going to necessarily comment on that as far as my experience, uh, but I think that there are definitely well thought out agendas happening that people are getting caught up in. And I think in this case, in the case of self-empowerment groups, they are preying on people's desire to help the world. So they're really preying on your good nature and they're telling you that what you're doing is really helping others. And it's also not so clear cut because you are helping others. But then at the same time, you're slowly being very controlled. And so the combination really puts you in what I call the trance-like state. Mm -hmm. Um, The other two things I want to mention are, I think you'll like this because I've heard your other podcasts and uh, you talk about things like this a lot. They do a process that I call twisting, where they tell you something that sounds really good. And I'll give you a perfect example. So you're not a victim. You don't want to be a victim. Okay. So everybody that takes a self-empowerment course can agree with that idea. Who wants to be a victim, right? But they twist that so that every time you have a complaint or criticism, or they do something that doesn't feel right, or you don't want to do something, They use that and they go, oh, you're being a victim. And they gave me a process to get out of what they called victim consciousness and back to being what they called source, which basically meant they didn't do anything wrong and it was all my fault. And as soon as I quote unquote owned that, I'd be better. So I got trained not to question things, not to see what I was seeing, not to speak it, and to just own it as my problem. So that's another reason why I didn't look at what was really happening. Yeah. 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 It's funny you say that. And I've mentioned this on the show before, because I've done Landmark. You know, I did their two courses. And anytime somebody asks me, I always say, do the two courses and get the hell out of there. Don't ever go anywhere near it again. Because to your point, what I found, I said, look, the information actually is invaluable. But, you know, the thing that what what really struck me were were two things. You know, when Stephen Kotler talked about uh, terrorist training camps and compared them to self-improvement seminars. You know, he said basically in any situation where meaning is being made for you and you're being put into flow, like that is really, you're, you're basically, you know, subjecting yourself to a situation in which you lose your power. But the other thing that really struck me about this was what Rick, you know, Alan Ross says, which, you know, by the time you, you guys, you know, we haven't aired that yet by the time you guys are hearing this. But one thing that he said that really struck me was he said that 
the evidence of the effectiveness of all of this stuff is highly subjective. Like nobody has done any large scale academic style research studies on any of this, which is shocking to me that you could build a billion dollar industry without any evidence for the effectiveness of it. Wow. Yeah. A lot of these groups, including the one I was in, the people running it and the people there, the same people having individuals come and bring their most intense situations and problems and mental health issues into the room, they have no training, no actual qualified certified training to do what they're doing besides their own self-proclaimed expertise. Yeah. I mean, as a therapist, don't you think that that's incredibly dangerous? Because I, I remember I had uh, Kate Swoboda here, who was a life coach, and, and she said, look, Trini, I know you're feeling on life coaches, and I think that a lot of your skepticism about them is warranted. And she brought up you know, issues like sexual abuse. She said, that's not the domain of a life coach. She's like, those are the things that need to be done by a licensed, trained professional. And yet, to your point, people are dealing with those kinds of issues in environments like this, where, you know, to your point, like basically it's just self-proclaimed experts saying that they have the solution to these problems. Yes, I think it's very dangerous and I see it now. And your question brings me to my third point, which is I have to say out of everything that I came out of this with 21 years later, it, it shocked me the most that I was seeing things that were dangerous and I was seeing people being treated horribly. I was treated horribly. And yet I wasn't letting it register. I stayed in a state of denial and I was actually trained to do that. Now that happens because A, I was exhausted all the time. They worked you very, very hard. I worked, my courses were 14 to 17 days in a row, but at the level that I was teaching. And then I had maybe nine or 10 days in between during which I was expected to work 24 seven, no days off, constant calls, constantly recruiting people. So uh, that's one thing that prevents you from acknowledging what's happening. And the other thing is they train you to tune out your feelings. So I have realized the importance of acknowledging what you're feeling and what you're seeing. And when you train yourself not to do that, then you actually miss very important cues. And the way they do that was my third point that I wanted to make is they train you to put a mission or a cause above anything else. So Anything you feel is not as important at the as the cause, your family, your finances, all of that you're trained to dismiss. And because it's so incremental, you find yourself getting very, I found myself getting very deep into all of that and not recognizing what was happening, unfortunately. Yeah. You, as I understand, were an instructor in this organization, correct? Yeah, I was at the highest level. I was an instructor and I was also training other teachers on how to instruct and how to recruit others. Okay. So, you know, from the standpoint of a teacher, because I, this is something I, I noticed in, even in the landmark forum was that 
the forum leader had this sort of almost, you know, halo over them. Mm-hmm. It's that whole idea of the person in the audience wants to be the person on the stage to the point where that actually ends up sucking a lot of people in because they think, oh, that's it. That's the ticket. I'm going to basically get to the point where I'm, I'm leading a forum. And um, they think that that's, you know, the, the pinnacle of achievement is to be in that position. And yet, you know, I, I wonder, as a teacher, did you ever feel that, you know, what you were teaching and and what you were doing was in conflict with your own values. And like, at what point did you start to see holes in all of this? I never felt that what I was teaching was in conflict with my values, but very early on, probably in the second year, it started to become in conflict with my own values. What I was asked to do was not okay with me. And the way I was talked to was not okay with me, but I kept attributing it to, well, I'm, I'm here to grow spiritually. I'm too sensitive. I'm learning how to be a leader. And I just really justified it. So it happened very early on. Um, as I got further up in the organization the treatment got way worse. So in the last 10 years, it got to the point where there was actually a lot of public shaming, public humiliation. I had to be saying that I did what they call transgressions against mm-hmm. Avatar that I never did. It was like really a kind of a mindfuck actually, where you were told that you were doing something and you had these intentions and you had to say you did or you would lose a lot of privileges. So it got a lot worse. By by the time it got worse, I was so trained at tuning it out. There was actually a moment where I felt that I was wishing I could get sick because I felt there was no way out. And it was so against my moral code. But again, it wasn't what we were teaching other people. It was the behind the scenes treatment of the people who were teaching that was so out of integrity for me. Mm, Wow. So what I wonder, 21 years is a really long time. I mean, and that that seems pretty standard for a lot of people who rise to the heights of these organizations. Even when I was watching Leah Remini's documentary, there were people who had basically made it to the highest level of Scientology. And, and, you know, you look at it and it was 20, you know, 20 plus years, millions of dollars, uh, so one, you know, I wonder why is it that it takes so damn long for people to have some sort of wake up call to say, wait a minute, this is a disaster. Like I need to get out of here. Um, and the process of getting out sounds, you know, way more painful than the process of getting in from everything that I've read. Uh, so you know, one, what, why does it take that long? Uh, two, what is it that finally makes somebody get this sort of wake up call? And then, then after that, let's talk about what actually happens when you leave. Okay. So I think that the problem that you're addressing right now and the question is so relevant, not only to people that get involved in groups, but this happens in relationships and the extreme form of what we're talking about is radicalization into conspiracy conspiracy theories, hate groups. It happens all over right now. So human beings have the propensity to get indoctrinated into ways of thinking. And when you are so in, it is really tough 
to see another viewpoint. And it's a, it's a fascinating thing about human beings. I know I've been talking about that a lot. And part of it is this twisting that they do. I'll give you another example. because And this also answers the question of how you can get out. One of the things I heard over and over again is, you know, you need to keep stretching out of your comfort zone, right? How many times do we hear that in self-empowerment training? right? Sounds good. Sure. But what I realize now is there are two kinds of pain. Like if you're running and you are building muscle and you're cramping and you need to keep going, that's productive. If you are running and you injure yourself and you keep going, that's causing damage. And they do not distinguish that. So you keep thinking that any pain you're feeling is something you need to stretch through. That's a twist. That is not correct. And so you lose touch with that inner voice that goes, this is too much. You just keep pushing yourself through it. And I think that's why people stay so long because they're every, it's like a perfect storm. Every cue that might give you a clue that you're hurting or that something is not right, you justify or you have some rationale or twist for. Uh, It's kind of similar in a certain way to an addiction. Your life is falling apart, but you still keep going for, like, as you say, those peak experiences and you stay in and you don't pay attention. Hmm. And so does that make sense? Yeah, it does. I mean, I I think I ended up writing a section for my new book saying, you know, like the title, never make a major life decision after a peak experience. Yes. Uh, because you're not thinking rationally or logically. Yeah, This is why I think that you, you know, you get to the end of a conference. This was very intentionally why when we had a conference, I was incredibly clear on the fact that we would not allow any upsells at the end of it. And, you know, one of our friends said, this is bad for business. And I said, yeah, I'm well aware of that, but it's good for people. Wow. That's so great. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is the problem. So I think that one, there's two, two, two next things I want to say. One is that you need to take responsibility for having self-awareness. And the piece that I really learned after I left is that we need to go beyond self-awareness. We need to actually acknowledge what we're feeling and acknowledge what we're seeing and take that extra step to acknowledge it because that's what I was missing. And that's what people who like, they may go, yeah, I'm exhausted, but they don't, they don't acknowledge how exhausted are you? How much money did you just spend? Are you making any money? What's happening in your relationships and all those things? You don't acknowledge them. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. 
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hmm. Yeah, well, that, that actually was a perfect segue to the next question is, is you know, looking at this from the standpoint of your finances as well as your relationships, because I feel like when people are put in these environments and, you know, to Stephen Collar's, to use Stephen Collar's words, meaning is made for them. Uh, it's easy for them to fall into the trap of spending money on things that they can't afford it. I remember even Leah Remini saying that, you know, she showed, she was showing her Scientology library and I, the guy had asked her, how much did you spend on all of this stuff? And she said millions. And he said, well, yeah, you're a celebrity actor. You can afford to spend millions on this stuff. What about the average person who doesn't? And yet mm-hmm. somehow they still do that. How in the hell does that even happen? If you don't have the money to do this, like you just figure out ways to find it and just keep getting yourself deeper into deeper into debt. Uh, like, you know, how do people not recognize the the detrimental impacts of that? And then what happens to your relationships outside of the organization? Yeah, well, that is such a fascinating phenomenon that happens is that if you don't have the money, I, I went into debt every year, even though I was devoting all my time to this organization. I literally went into debt every year. So I'd put it on credit card debt and then I'd have my head down and break my agreement with my my husband at the time and say, oh, I'm so sorry. I did it again. Next year I'm trying. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And you put it on credit cards. I saw people literally sell their homes, take second mortgages, um, move into trailers, just rack up exorbitant amounts of debt 
in order to keep doing it. And they kept going. It was just incredible to see. It's all part of that same situation where you're not acknowledging the damage that's happening. Now, is there some sort of belief that there's a light at the end of the tunnel that, you know, if I keep going, I will eventually get this result that I'm supposedly going to get from doing this? Yes. Then the belief is if you own it enough, if you are fully personal, personally responsible and source of your life, you will be able to create the reality you want. And that's the hook. And that's also the twist. Because as you always say, nobody's looking at context and it's not true. That is not true. If somebody tells you, you create your own reality, you can create any reality you want. I call that now the Santa Claus view of the universe. It's not that simple. And I'm not saying that we don't create in our lives. Of course we do. And we can learn to take more and more responsibility for creating what we want. But it is not that simple. And so, yeah, you're sold on that. And then as far as family, like you asked before, you're actually trained to spend less and less time with family. And you're told that the more time you spend devoting yourself to the mission, the better your family will be. Somehow, magically, that's another myth that they'll just get the benefits because you're, you're helping humanity so much. And in fact, of course, that is not true in any way, shape or form and your relationships fall apart. Now, I will say that I have incredibly supportive parents and friends and they stayed connected with me even though I was barely available and always had the phone with me ready to register the next student. Uh, they stayed connected with me. And I have to say that people wonder, how do you get through to somebody who is so indoctrinated and involved in a system and they're so highly justified that they're doing the right thing? And people wonder, well, what do you do about that? And now looking back, what people did for me that worked is they stayed connected. They didn't make me wrong. They kept reminding me what it was like to be respected. They tried to create moments of having fun. Like I have a wonderful boyfriend now. I live with him. And he would very gently just say, why don't we relax now a little bit? And this all started happening when COVID happened. So my, my exit was really started when COVID started and the courses stopped and I got a chance to be home and feel what it was like to rest and be present and enjoy my life for a moment and to not be under the constant influence of these leaders. That was the very beginning. But then um, the connection of my friends and family, the juxtaposition of that and then how you're treated in the cult is actually what makes you wake up. Wow. Uh, so this is another thing that I see. I mean, you mentioned, you know, part of your job was to recruit. And I remember even Landmark Forum, one of the concepts that they teach you is enrollment. And I've realized that I've used those concepts to grow unmistakable creative, but I realized what Landmark does is they want you to use the concepts they teach you to grow Landmark, not to grow yourself. 
Uh, and I always say, like, go look at the landmark forum. You know, the people who get the most out of the landmark forum are the ones who never fucking go back. Yes, I would say exactly the same thing. And I got so much from the course in the beginning. And then when I started becoming devoted to recruiting from the course, I lost all my gains and everything started to turn. Exactly. So that's the thing I wonder, because like I, you know, that's one thing I never became one of these people who would go and tell everybody, oh, you need to be on Landmark, blah, blah, blah. But there are a lot of people who get into those organizations. Rick Ross wrote about in his book where that thing starts to become their life, but it gets to the point where it's so annoying that they actually start to irritate people in their life. Yeah. And you've been somebody who's been in the position to do exactly that. I mean, did you ever see the end of any friendships or relationships as a byproduct of, th of this? Honestly, yes. I became pushy. I felt righteous. And I really told myself that I was helping people. I didn't go as far as most people did in the organization at my level. But absolutely, I have people that I ended those friendships. I My parents literally said, if you talk about this one more time, I'm going to hang up. I can't. I mean, it, it became intolerable, really, because I always had this pressure from the organization to bring in the numbers. And so I was always under the gun and the consequences for not having the students that I said I was trying to bring in were so painful that it was always on my mind. And yes, I am. Um, that's one of the things I regret most about my involvement. Mm. So let me ask you about something else that I, I didn't get to ask Rick about, which is this whole idea that he wrote about called loading the language, which uh, I, I saw this firsthand where, uh, you know, in the seduction community, as well as in the Landmark Forum, they take words that we already have definitions for and give us new definitions. What is the purpose of that when it comes to indoctrination? Like, why create an entire lexicon? Like, there's got to be a, a reasoning behind that. And I, I wanted to get to the heart of like, there's got to be, a, you know, a psychological reason to create that because it's got to have some sort of influence on us. Absolutely. Well, they're creating a culture and they eventually create a culture where the language that they speak is different from everybody else's. So you start feeling alienated from society, alienated from other people. And in a lot of these groups, I know certainly in mine, I felt like the language we were speaking was superior. Like we had these concepts and we understood things about how the mind works that other people didn't. And another thing they would do is they would discourage reading things, taking any other courses at the level that I was at, that was considered out of alignment. So come to find out when I leave, this shit is everywhere. I mean, it's yeah. not that the tools weren't great, but he put together concepts and tools that I can find in lots of other places. And the language is something that they created to keep you hooked. And it, it doesn't mean that no one else speaks that language and no one else can understand these tools, but they make you think that. Hmm. Now, as a therapist, why do you think that people will default to joining one of these organizations as opposed to seeing you? Well, I think that one of the indoctrinations that these organizations tell you is that people need very deep longer term foundational trans transformation that's 
more intense than an hour a week can give you. So that's another one of the selling points. I, I could even sell you on that right now and tell you that with a very nice seductive voice that how true that is. And somebody who feels like they've been trying to make improvements and hasn't been able to make it can very quickly buy that theory. Oh yeah, I really want to go and have a deep transformation. Looking back, a lot of that time was wasted and wasn't necessary, actually. It depends on if you're finding the therapist that is the right match for you and you're getting the tools that you need. But I think that's that's what draws you in is that idea that you need something more than an hour a week or a coach or a therapist can give you. Okay. Well, let's talk about what happens when you leave. You talked about transgressions. I mean, we've kind of seen, you know, from the documentaries that have been released about Nexium that when you leave, life gets pretty difficult. Uh, you know, everything from legal action to people just making your life a living hell, to your point, public humiliation. Uh, how do you navigate that that transition? I mean, I know you've, you're fresh out of this. So uh, mm-hmm. what has that been like? And then what are the challenges of it? Uh, and you know, I, I think the the question I have is ultimately like, what do we do about this? And it's not like people are going to stop teaching self empowerment. It's not like Tony Robbins' career is going to end tomorrow, to the best of my knowledge. Um, people are still going to buy books. People are still going to listen to this podcast. And a lot of the people who come here, you know, to teach what they do, fall into this category. I, you know, and that's why I make a point to question every single thing and drill as deep as I can with every single person because I want them to back up what they're saying with either, you know, validity or to actually encourage people to consider context. Yeah. So leaving for me, I had some benefits that made my transition out a lot easier than some other people. And the first one was, as I mentioned, I had COVID so that I could not go to a course. So one of the things that's it has been studied is that people who are removed from a controlling environment for even three days start to get a different perspective. So that's one of the things that made my transition easier. Also, I had training as a therapist, so I knew I could do something else, even though they would tell the people that are in the group that, you know, you're so specialized that there's nothing you could do right now. In fact, my practice built up very quickly as soon as I left. And also the third thing is that nobody from the organization is allowed to contact me. So I had friends that I had been with for 20 years and I lost them all over overnight. And I knew that would happen. And I would say that has been the greatest loss for me and the greatest challenge is not having my friendships. Um, There was also a lot of disorientation in the beginning because I always knew every day what I'd be doing. My day was so structured. And so I needed to create that again. Don't get me wrong. I've enjoyed every second of that. And the benefits of leaving have so outweighed the pain of being controlled like I was. Um, But you just have to really reinvent yourself. I took off all my social media, my website, and starting again with all of that. Um, And so there, there are challenges, I would say, in the beginning for me also, 
um, I had to come to terms with the amount of time I spent there, the regrets about the loss of my time and resources and some, some of the things I did to others, such as ignoring what they were experiencing. I saw people not being treated well and I, I didn't stand up for that. And that's against my own moral code. So I had to come to terms with that. Um, but I feel very grateful. Like I said, I have a wonderfully supportive partner and a wonderful life and I was able to recreate myself. But for each person, their challenges are unique and the amount of time it takes to go through that is different. And we just need to go through it and come back out on our feet. Yeah. I guess for me, in so many ways, this is such a parallel to somebody who's a professional athlete who spends their entire career getting ready to do this one thing. And then when that doesn't materialize, there's almost this tremendous loss of identity. Mm -hmm. And so I wonder, how do you start to recover a, a sense of identity when something like this has been your identity for as long as it was? Well, the funniest thing about that is you have the loss of identity, but you have this, I mean, I can't even express how tremendous this feeling is, the sense of freedom. It's like I walk around every second and I go, I'm free to decide what I want to do today. I'm free to decide when I want to wake up, what I want to create. This That sense is so incredibly amazing. And the things, the little things in my life, like being able to cook and enjoy a movie and go for a walk and connect with my neighbor are so amazing that it really outweighs this feeling of the loss of identity, at least for me it did. Now, it's a journey. I do have a therapist that I work with and I keep working on getting real and honest about who I am and what I want to create because of course that's what I stand for. Um, but that wasn't as difficult as the joy of having my life back. Mm, wow. So I guess, you know, as we're coming to a close, what I, I wonder is given that there are people still teaching this stuff, uh, what do you think is the responsibility of people who are, are leading these self-empowerment courses, people like a Tony Robbins? Uh, and then what do you think is the responsibility of people who consume this stuff? Because, you know, our listeners fall into this category as well, which is why I wanted to put this series together, uh, because I wanted to explore the darker sides of this that nobody ever seems to want to talk about. Mm -hmm. Okay, two great questions. So for the consumer, I know this sounds funny, but I'm not really giving much advice advice in my life anymore. But the one piece of advice I would give to any consumer is pay attention to what you are seeing. So I would not throw out all self-empowerment courses. I wouldn't walk around being in fear. I would really increase my ability to pay attention to what you're seeing, what's actually happening. Investigate, do your research, and don't dismiss the cues you're getting. So if you see something online and you want to look it up further, research it until you feel comfortable about your decision. When you're being talked to, pay attention to what you're seeing. Is that somebody's sales pitch or does that ring true for you? Pay attention to when you're making a decision, what is the cost to you? What are you sacrificing? Is it worth it to you? And always go back 
to yourself and paying attention. So that's for the consumer and for the leaders. And I'm really grateful because I'm actually getting to work with, I have a couple of team leaders of large teams that I'm training right now. And it's such a wonderful opportunity coming from my experience of being a leader and being led by leadership that I felt was damaging. So for the leaders, I think the biggest thing to keep in mind is that we have a tendency to dehumanize people for a cause. And when you make a mission more important than your core values or the human beings in it and what's important to them, you're walking down a dangerous path. Wow. So one last question specifically around this. For people who create aspirational media, um, people who write books, people who produce podcasts like this one, what do you think is our responsibility to the people that we serve? I love what you do because I think that the responsibility of people like you is to continue to raise awareness and really bring out the truth in people's experiences, things that they may not have realized or not have been willing to expose because the more honest we are, the more we can learn from each other and the more we can see what's really happening. Mm, wow. Well, I think that that makes a fitting end to a very riveting and eye-opening conversation. Uh, so I have one final question for you, which I know you've heard me ask. What do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable? I think that when somebody communicates from wholehearted sincerity, whether it's writing a book, communicating in a conversation, art, music, whatever it is, their wholehearted sincerity is what makes them unmistakable. Amazing. Um, well, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to join us and share your story and your wisdom and your insights with our listeners. This has been truly, truly eye-opening. Uh, where can people find out more about you, your work, and uh, everything that you're up to now? Okay, so um, people can find out about me on um, my website. It's ariellasarai.com slash clarity course. So that's A R I. E-L-A-S-A-R-A-I dot com slash clarity course. And I've developed a three-step online course. It's free. It's a gift for anybody who signs up for the mailing list. And it really helps people get clarity on where they stand and how they see things. And if people take that course, they also have an opportunity to schedule a free call with me where they can get a customized clarity plan as well. As I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, I'm really excited about something totally new called an airspace that gives you an opportunity to participate in the show and ask your questions. All you have to do is submit a question and either a guest or I reply, you'll get an email letting you know. And all you have to do is go to unmistakablecreative.com slash participate. Again, that's unmistakablecreative.com slash participate. 
boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.